how many were encouraged and challenged last week by Pastor Frank's message? I uh, so much enjoyed uh, watching alongside you. And uh, how cool to think, so you've got Zacchaeus going up this tree, right, to get a better view of Jesus. He, he, literally, he literally rises above the things that get in the way of him seeing Jesus clearly. What a great challenge that was to us and to consider the grace of God, the grace of Jesus that was extended towards Zacchaeus. Um, just really appreciated that message. It encouraged me uh, throughout the week. Um, so the last couple of weeks, I've been um, unpacking John chapter 17. We've been looking at Jesus's high priestly prayer. We're invited to this intimate conversation between Jesus and the Father. And uh, we discovered as we've been looking at it that really um, much of what Jesus is highlighting here, or, or one of the things that he's prioritizing in his prayer, is that the church that was with Jesus at the time, his disciples that walked with him, as well as those that would come to faith after them, namely us, his appeal to the Father was that we would be one, that the church would be in unity, that the church would experience the unity, that our unity within the bride of Christ would reflect the unity that exists between the Father and the Son, namely the God and, and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead. And so we see no less than four times in 13 verses in chapter 17 where Jesus shows his hand as, as to how valuable, how important, what a priority unity was for his disciples as well as all of the disciples that would come after him. And so we see Jesus appealing to the Father four times in 13 verses that we would be one. This is in verse 11 in ver of chapter 17, that they may be one, speaking of the church, even as we are one. He says it again in verse 21, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. It says it again in verse 22, that they may be one, even as we are one. And he says it again in verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So we see what is heavy on the heart of Jesus as he is praying to the Father. It is just moments before his arrest. It's moments before his, his crucifixion. It's moments before Holy Week is about to unfold. And what's heavy on the heart of Jesus as he's praying for his to his Father, is that the church would be in unity. I don't know about you, but that, that screams a level of priority that we must recognize that this, that this priority was in the heart of Jesus. And if it's a priority for Jesus, it needs to be a priority for his church. This was recorded and preserved so that we would hear was what is on the heart of Jesus moments before, that we would be one. And as followers of Jesus, as those entrusted with displaying the heart of Christ to the world around us, it behooves us to ensure that the priorities of Jesus are the priorities of the church. If it's important to Jesus, we must see it as a mandate for the church. 
I wonder, and you certainly don't answer me out loud, but when was the last time you thought about how important it is for the church to be in unity with one another? The church today is very divided on, on so many levels and so many issues and so many areas. And it is inconsistent with what Jesus desires for the church. And we who are followers of Christ must recognize the importance, the priority that Jesus places on the unity that must exist within the church. Now let's take this concept away from the big church, big C, and bring it home to here at Integrity Church. What's true for the big church is true for the little church, for the local church. There must be unity within the body of Christ. What connects the church today to the early church as we see in the book of Acts? Well, let's own it it a little bit more. What connects Integrity Church to the early church in the book of Acts? What connects Integrity Church to the church 500 years ago? What connects Integrity Church to the church 100 years ago? What connects Integrity Church with other churches here currently on Long Island? What connects Integrity Church with other churches throughout New York State or all throughout the United States of America? What connects Integrity Church to the church in Africa, to the church in China, to the church in England or Iran? What what, what connects Integrity Church to all the churches around the globe today? It's not our politics because we don't have the same politics around the world. It's not our racial tensions. We don't share the same challenges that everyone faces and, during, and, and certainly not during the same times. It's not the pandemic that unites us. Our realities are not the same. What unites the church today with the church from yesterday is a unified belief in the essentials of the Christian faith. There is a a thread of truth that is woven into the fabric of the church that started in Acts chapter 2 and is woven all throughout to the church today that binds us together, that connects us with one another. And it is not a temporary unity that is dependent upon the culture we live in, the politics that exist, or the popular opinion of the day, but on the unified belief on the essentials of the Christian faith, the foundational truths that have not changed over the centuries or around the world. You see, the church perhaps isn't as unified as it can be because the church today is trying to unify around the wrong topics. 
What are some of the things that the church needs to unify around? The church needs to unify around the deity of Jesus Christ. It's not negotiable. He is very God of very God. That Jesus, being fully God, eternally existent, the creator of all things, he became flesh. He stepped into our skin, into our world. He fulfilled all the law of God on our behalf. And while fully God and fully man, he died as a sacrifice for your sins and for mine. It's non-negotiable. We need to rally around that. Do you think churches in areas of the world that are experiencing horrific persecution unlike we've ever experienced divide over some of the things that the church today divides over? I think that somebody, a Christian out there, when they find out somebody also holds to the fact that Jesus is God, they're holding tightly to one another. We unify around the sacrificial death and resurrection of Christ as our only means of salvation. We recognize that the church does not save. Our works do not save. Our, 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 um, um, the, the nationality or, or the family we've been born into, that's not what saves us. What saves us is the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, his resurrection. It's the only means of our salvation. And what has held the church together, what has caused the church to connect from our present to our past is this unwillingness to let go of that truth. Even in the midst of a time that I'm sure there was other things they could have divided over. But that was more important. We gather around the authority of God's word as we recognize that God's word is our ultimate authority. It reveals everything we are to know about God on this side of eternity. It reveals everything we need to know about God, ourselves, and the world around us. It is literally our, our guiding light. It instructs us on how we live. It is an essential that the church has held to and as churches deviated from the authority of God's word, they only identified themselves as false Christians. The true church has held to the authority and sufficiency of God's word through the centuries. We recognize the importance of the community of the church, the ecclesia, the, the called out ones. Paul likens us to a body, mutually dependent upon one another. What, I mean, he could have likened the church to anything under the inspiration of the Spirit, right? But he chose to liken the church to a body that depends on and works alongside one another for its, for its health. And the church throughout the centuries has held to the importance and the value of the body of Christ. It's held to our eternal hope, recognizing that our final gathering is yet to come, that our citizenship with other Christians, our temporary citizenship with other Christians around the world may be different, but our eternal citizenship remains the same that there is a place called heaven awaiting you and I, that there'll be a day where we step out of time and into eternity and we're forever in the presence of the Lord. 
that will gather together with our loved ones and, and the church throughout the ages that have held to these truths. And it'll be a place where there's no more pain and no more suffering and no more tears. And this little snapshot of what we call time in, in, in retrospect will be nothing but a, a flash. And we will be forever with the Lord. It is our hope that the church is held to. It is what has unified us with the saints of old. The mission of the church that recognizes, we recognize that we were saved for a purpose and with a purpose. That God has left us here to go and make disciples of all nations. We see it right in the beginning of the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. We see as the church moved out from the upper room, the first thing that takes place is we see thousands of people come to Christ. And the church continues to make disciples. And instead of dividing over the many, many issues that we're dealing with, mean, just look at some of the issues that Paul had to deal with in, in, when he wrote to the, the different churches throughout the epistles. Those weren't the things that united the church. What united the church were, were these essential keys that we see all throughout the scriptures. And this mission of bringing the gospel. Now, there are, there are other issues, and I could spend all day just talking about some of the key things that, that, that really define us as Christians. But these are, these are just some of the truths that the church has, has rallied around since its birth in the book of Acts. History demonstrates that the church has had to weather many obstacles over the years. The church has had to endure a lot of changes. The church never lacked hardship and persecution and difficult times over the centuries. But what has kept the church together has been her shared commitment to Jesus Christ, who declared, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It was a church that recognized that they were not created for the here and the now only, but that we had eternity stamped in our hearts. And we would, we've been left on a mission. And everything that we do, everything we are, everywhere we go, every decision we make needs to be influenced by our heavenly citizenship. Played out on the playing field of this, this earth to which we are temporary citizens. It was not the church's commitment to its political leaders that kept her together. It was not her commitment to their policies or platforms. The church historically has recognized that her ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And this earth is just the temporary location that our heavenly citizenship is to be lived out. Have you ever thought of that? Do you know that your eternal life doesn't begin the day you stop breathing? Your eternal life begins the moment you come to Christ. And you will never die. Your body might 
stop breathing, but what makes you, you will go on forever. And while we're here on this earth for however many years God has chosen to allow us to live on it, we must recognize that our citizenship in heaven needs to inform the way we live our lives on the earth. And we've all got everything trying to distract us from that truth. We've got so many things that try to pull us from that reality, but at the end of the day, what matters most is that recognition that I am his and his first. I am a pilgrim passing through. You know the church in Africa or Australia or England or any other part of the world? You know, none of them divided from one another or had her faith rocked over the political problems in America? You know why? Because they're not citizens of America. And while our citizenship in America is a blessing, I thank God for it. Our first priority is our citizenship in heaven. And if our faith is rocked by the temporary problems of our day, we must be honest with ourselves and wonder, is my faith too tied to my nationalism or to my faith in Jesus Christ? What connects the church together over the centuries is our shared citizenship and our loving awe of a triune God. Your faith is not to be so tied to your national pride that it gets shaken when things don't go the way you want them to go. The country you live in temporarily is to be the location that your heavenly citizenship is lived out. And I don't say that out of the expense of, I love my country, but I love my heavenly home more. And I recognize that while we have a great country, we have a fallen country. And my heavenly citizenship needs to inform the way my American citizenship is to be lived out. The church is bigger than what we have chosen to rally around in recent years. And because the church at times has rallied around the wrong things, the church has disconnected herself from the very ties that bind us together and with one another. Hence, weakening the influence of the church in the world today. The church has divided over ethnicity, over politics, over non-essential areas of theology. Yet these were never the things that we were called to unify around. Can I just tell you there's no such thing as Republican Christians or Democratic Christians or black Christians or white Christians or brown Christians. You're either a Christian saved by the blood of Jesus Christ or you're not a Christian at all. 
And the church has been divided over the wrong things. And the problem is, it's got its eyes off the things that we're supposed to unify around. The big things that make us and connect us with our past, our past has been overshadowed by a lot of the current climate of our day. And it's weakening the church. It's robbing the joy from the church. And it's disconnecting us from one another. To be in unity does not mean that we agree on all the same issues. That's, that's uniformity. And nobody's looking to create uniformity. That's one of the characteristics of a cult. Right? Everybody believes the same, talks the same, looks the same, they dress the same. Right? I mean, that's uniformity. Nobody's calling anybody to uniformity. But to be in unity means that the issues that we choose to agree on are more important than the issues that we disagree on. That doesn't mean that we don't disagree. It means that we look at those disagreements through the lens of what is most essential, and that ought to drive us to one another instead of from one another. We are the family of God called to be in unity with one another is the prayer of our Savior, that we would be one, even as the Godhead is one. And the, pri listen, the priority of Jesus became the plot of Satan in trying to divide the church, in seeking to get our eyes off of that which unites us and on that which divides us. Don't think for a moment that there weren't things to divide over in the early church. I mean, in the midst of, of all the excitement that was going on, I mean, could you imagine what, the, what it must have been like following the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I mean, they found themselves in the midst of a very changing culture. Imagine what it must have been like after the Holy Spirit had come upon the church and the church is birthed and now this small group of Christ followers very quickly become thousands of people who begin to shift their culture. But they don't change overnight their, their position before God does, but what they were gets brought to the table. Hello? Right? They needed to go through the same process of sanctification that every one of us had to go through. And we see a lot of the issues that Paul had to address in all of the, the, the pastoral epistles. But yet the church was able to still remain united despite their very many differences because they focused on what was most important. Think about what it must have been like for the early church. I mean, it took some time to get the message of the gospel broadcast throughout the world. There was no TV. There was no social media. There was no cell phones. I think our teenagers are like, really? Like, you didn't just tweet the truth? No, we just... The message got out only as fast as a person's feet can get it out there. Communication wasn't like we have today. I mean, put, put your first century shoes on for a moment and, and remember 
It took time for the message of Christ's resurrection to get out there. I mean, certainly in Jerusalem that day and all that were present at that moment, they understood, they, many had seen it, but, but hundreds and thousands of miles away, it took some time for that to get out there. It took some time for the, the message of the essential and, the, and uh, of the ascension and, and the gospel to get out there. It took some time for the dots to be connected in the Old Testament that pointed to Christ as the fulfillment of all that it was. Those messages took time to get out there. And I dare say, and history has proven, the church has not agreed on all of those issues in the beginning. Why? Because they were, they, it was still getting out there. And yet they still remained unified. Why? Because they didn't rally around the things they disagreed over. They rallied around the things that were true and most important, that Jesus is God that he's our only means of salvation, that he died and rose for my, for my salvation. Don't think for a moment there was an opportunity for them to divide over issues that were being presented to them. And then you add to the mix kings and rulers who would feel threatened by this new group of Christ followers. They thought when Christ bowed his head in death, it was over. Little did they know it was just the beginning. As Christians came to faith more and more, societies would begin to shift. The world would begin to change. Loyalty that was extended to an earthly king was now directed to a heavenly king. And earthly kings weren't happy about it. And so they sought to kill the church. They sought to silence the church. They sought to slow the church down. Many murders and imprisonments were launched against the church with the hopes of silencing her yet to no avail. Because when Jesus said, I will build my church, if the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Certainly no earthly kings would either. It was said of the early church that they were like the mighty bamboo. If the more you cut them down, they would grow back taller and stronger and more plentiful than they were before. Why? Because their eyes were not fixed on the temporary things of this world. They were not shaken when the ground beneath them seemed to be shifting because their feet were planted in heavenly places. And my appeal to the church, my appeal to those who identify themselves as followers of Jesus Christ is to not be distracted by all of the things that are going on around us that we fail to recognize. that you were saved for a purpose and with a purpose and that God is at work today and that you and I have been given this opportunity to be a part of God's plan in the world today. And if we will only like Zacchaeus 
climbing the tree so that the things in the way that blocked his view of Jesus were no longer there. If we would do that same thing, if we'd start, start looking and saying, whatever's getting in the way of my love for Jesus, whatever's getting in the way of my love for the church, I'm going to rise above that. I'm going to climb above that so that I've got a clear view of Jesus. To the degree that we'll do that is the degree that we will walk and live as we were designed and called to walk. What was the plan of Jesus for the unity of the church became the plot of Satan in trying to divide it. We must push back against those things. We must see the things that unite us as more valuable and more important as the things that we disagree on so that they don't divide us. Luke records a beautiful picture of the church following Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We see, that, I mean, what, what, an, what an exciting time this must have been for the church. Jesus had tell, been telling his disciples before he left, listen, it's good that I'm going away, for if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come. But when I go away, he will come. And, and while I was with you, the Holy Spirit will be in you. And he encourages them, go and, 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 and be in unity. Go and pray. And as we get into Acts chapter 2, they are, they are in the upper room. And they are in unity with one another. And they are praying. And Luke records that a, the sound of a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church at that point. And now we see, with the Holy Spirit coming upon the church, we see cloven tongues of fire landing upon each of the disciples, and they begin speaking in other tongues. Which tongues? All of the tongues of the people who were there celebrating Pentecost at that day. And the church now filters out of the upper room and into the streets where the church belongs. And so they begin to now talk about the great work of God. And as they're doing that, the people listening to them speak in their, in, in their languages. And they say, these Christians must be drunk. For it's only 10 o'clock in the morning. And Peter says, no, we're not drunk as you suppose. But this is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. That will pour out my spirit in all flesh. And so we see Peter now the same Peter who denied the Lord three times, now Peter begins with boldness preaching the gospel and 3,000 people are saved. The church, which was much smaller, probably around 60 to 90 disciples at that time, turns into 3,000 after the Holy Spirit comes upon the church and the church is birthed. And you know what the church did after that? Nothing. They wrote about it. They had times where you say, hey, remember when God met us back then? We don't, we don't need to do anything more now because we experienced it all back then. You know how many times Christians will pull from their yesterday so much that they fail to remember they can have a today experience with God? That's not what the church did. I love this. What happens is, the church is birthed, and then we see in verse 42 through 47, we see what the church does. It says, and they devoted themselves. They continued in what they learned. Can I just tell you, you know, one of the, one of the biggest blessings and biggest challenges in the church are those who have been in the faith for a long time. 
One of the greatest blessings, there's nothing like having the pillars in the church. And I'm not talking about the men's ministry. It's great to have them too. But, but I mean, those who have been in the faith for years, they've experienced it. They've weathered the changing climate of time. They, they've held on to Jesus through the highs and the lows. And, and there's just a stability that that brings. And that is so wonderful. But the danger for those very same people is that they can draw so much on what happened in the past. Like they've been there and done that. That they don't pursue a fresh touch from God for their daily experience today. And I'm just going to, and to encourage you that, that, that I just know for me, I mean, I've been in the church since I'm 11 years old. That's a long time ago. And um, 39 years ago. And I've constantly got to make sure that my time with Jesus is fresh. I can tell you about some really exciting times in the Lord and retreats when God spoke to me and encouraged me and filled me and blessed. And that's wonderful to pull from, but I can't live on yesterday's manna. I need to live on today's manna. And you see, what, what we see the church doing here is that they continue. They don't just stop there because they've hit you know, the, the, the plateau of, of what is, is so good. No, we see them continuing. Look at verse 42. And they, devout, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And so we see them, they're committed, right? And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. We've got a snapshot of not just the early church, but of our brothers and sisters, of our family, that held to the same threads of truth that we hold to, the ones that we will spend eternity with, the ones that we will see one day. Look what distinguishes them in this movement, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and to the teachings. It wasn't a one and done, I know it all kind of thing. They were committed to growing. They were committed to teaching. They were committed to listening. They were committed to applying. And no matter how long you are in the faith, you never stop being teachable. The moment you stop being teachable is the moment that pride fills your heart and your growth stops. Look, it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. What is that? That is more than just, just getting together. The Greek word there is koinonia. It speaks of a, of a spiritual connection that takes place between two brethren who have, who have a, a shared love for Jesus Christ. Do you ever connect with somebody and you're talking and sharing about different things and truths of God's word and you walk away going, man, I just felt like I was with Jesus. Right? Not that they were like Jesus, but Jesus, his presence was there. And I walk away sharpened and encouraged and blessed. What just happened? Fellowship. 
And can I tell you, you need fellowship. I need fellowship. We were designed for this. And here's the problem. Social distancing says we can't have fellowship. The word says we just need to be more creative on how we're going to fellowship. What's not on the table is whether we're going to fellowship. What's on the table is how are we going to fellowship in a way that is healthy and safe and but consistent with what we're called to do. You can fellowship with somebody on the phone. You can fellowship with somebody on Zoom. You can fellowship with somebody over a dinner table or in the sanctuary or whatever it might be. What we need to be careful is don't let anybody tell you you can't fellowship until the pandemic is over. We just need to be more creative because we need it. We need fellowship. I'll tell you, I had some, for a couple, couple weeks ago, I was just having a really rough time struggling with just, um, just some anxiety and fear. Just really, it was just really real to me at the moment. And um, we had some friends come over. And um, I didn't know in the first hour or not if I was going to bail the conversation. Like I, I just was, you know, you have the, ever have those inward tormenting moments in your life if you don't know what that is? Sorry, I had that. And so, but I was really struggling. And, um, and then we started to talk about worship. And then we started to plug in some worship. We started to talk about the goodness of God. And the presence of the Lord came over our, my kitchen table that night. And the heaviness lifted. It was such a tangible lifting, like, like peeling the skin off an arm. It was like unbelievable how the presence of the Lord and what took place was a dinner turned into koinonia. We didn't have to break social distancing guidelines. We didn't have to go to church. God showed up in my kitchen. You see, I was designed for that. I need that. And so do you. Don't think for one moment that with all of the restrictions that are in place that you'll put fellowship on hold until you're allowed. No, just get more creative in the ways in which you'll connect with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We were designed for that. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. I mentioned the first service. How many really miss bagels on Sunday morning? I'm curious, how many of you started coming to the church after the, pandem the pandemic? There's a lot of people. So like, you don't even, uh, God bless, I'm so glad you're here. God bless. You don't even know what you're missing as far as like, we, we eat good. We, we fellowship like so well in the, in the family room and those days are coming again. I'm so glad you've endured with us. Um, but, but those are such great times, right? But that's not really what this is referring to. This isn't, you know, the breaking of bagels. This is more the breaking of bread really is referring to communion. It, it, they came together and they, they re, to take a pause and remember his body that was broken for us, his blood that was shared, shed for us, that, the, the, that, that we exist as the body of Christ because of his broken body. And they were intentional about doing that. And I'm sure that everybody who was at the table didn't agree on every issue. But they agreed on what was most important. And they didn't let that get in the way. They devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer has got to be a priority in our lives as individuals, 
and together as a church family. Because it is through prayer that we're reminded of our dependence upon God. It is in prayer that we're reminded of our dependence even on one another. And it is in prayer, it is in prayer that we develop and maintain a love for one another. Because if you're not praying for one another, eventually you're going to get under each other's skin. And I'm going to get under your skin. I might already be under your skin. I don't know. But prayer aligns my will with God's will. And a church that is praying together is not going to settle for less than God's will for the church because what ends up happening through prayer is that whatever God's will is for our church starts to become the natural will of his people who are submitting to him in prayer. They continued and devoted themselves in prayer. Awe came upon every soul. I love that. A sense of awe, reverence for God, and miracles start taking place. Don't think for one minute that the miracles have stopped. There's not been one good theological argument that I've ever seen that would suggest that miracles have stopped. They continue. Look, it says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. In other words, they saw each other as equals. They appreciated one another. They were together. They had all things in common. That doesn't mean that, again, not, that's not a call to uniformity. They had all things in common of the things that were essential for their unity. And they sold their possessions to meet each other's needs. Imagine that. I love that. You see, here's, here's what happened, and, and there's so, that, that, that scripture really rubs people the wrong way. And I've seen so many people try to dance around that to not make it sound as challenging as it is, but at the end of the day, what they did was they sold their possessions. When they saw that somebody had a need and they couldn't financially meet it, they'd sell something that they owned so that that need could be met. You say, I would never do that. That's what they did. See, here's the thing. They valued one another more than the things that they possessed. And that is really what defined and influence their love and their impact in one another's lives. They daily attended temple together. Every day, people of worship, they shared meals in each other's homes. You don't have to wait till a pandemic is over for that. It's there, that's the environment. You get into somebody's home, you get into their heart. You get into their life. You get to see pictures on the wall that, that come with stories. We start being able to connect with one another on levels that never, that never can exist on, like that on a Sunday morning. And so we see the church growing corporately. It says day by day they went to the temple and then they went to the homes. And then they went to the temple and they went to the homes. They went to the temple, you get the idea? They're back and forth, right? They, broke, they grew corporately and they grew individually. They appreciated what they had. They received their food, it says, with glad and generous hearts. It says they daily, they praised God. They lived lives of praise. It says they had favor with all the people. You know, the early church, they, they, they weren't judgmental or a threat to the community. They didn't highlight all the sins and things that needed to be changed. They pointed to Jesus. They shared the love of Christ. And they had favor with all the people. That's what they did. 
Look what God did. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They didn't get stuck in the weeds of all that was going on around them. They pursued their spiritual growth. They pursued their fellowship with one another. And they changed the world. And you know what? They had a blast doing it. Because they were living as they were designed to live. That's who we're connected to. That's where our roots trace back. That's our heritage. Let's not let our current climate define who we are. Let's remember what we came from. Let's remember our heritage. Integrity Church, we must keep our eyes fixed on growing deeper and deeper in love with Jesus and deeper and deeper in love with one another. Let the unity of this local church transcend the things that we disagree over. And let us hold tightly and intentionally to the things that we have to unify around. It's what connects us to our past. And it's what will impact our present and our future. And who knows? Maybe along the way, just like the early church, maybe as we're devoting ourselves to a deeper walk with God and a deeper walk with one another, just maybe God will begin to add to the church those who are being saved. And maybe those additions are your family your friends, your sons, your daughters, your loved ones. Lord Jesus, let it be so. Let it be so. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, how you've captured the past for us so we can apply it to our present. Lord, guard our hearts from being distracted Help us never forget the heritage from which we come from. Lord, allow our heavenly citizenship to be played out on the fields of our today to the glory and majesty of Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen.